advice I have for listeners who want to do similar kind of social justice work or any kind of work that's on someone's heart, I would say follow the green lights. I have had some crazy ass ideas, ridiculous things that a lot of people pat me on the head about and say, that's nice, dear. But I can feel when I'm quite convicted inside. And when I've followed those things, they have manifested. In the beginning, I had 15 students in one facility and I was on there on my own dime. And today we have 19 programs in five countries in two languages and four states. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the I Impact podcast, the podcast that aims to redefine and expand the boundaries of a social impact career. I'm Evie, and alongside my co-host Elise, we are so excited you are joining us in our journey of finding purpose in our professions. Today, we are inviting a spectacular guest onto our podcast, Susan Alessic. Hi, Susan. We are so excited to have you. We're going to kick off with a little bit of background on yourself to give our audience some context. Susan is an unapologetic idealist, a human potentialist in passionate pursuit of what is possible for people. Born outside of Boston, raised in Hong Kong and Japan, and educated in England and California, she earned a BA in sociology from Occidental College and has cultivated a compassionate interest in human behavior during her lifetime. Susan is the founder of two organizations, Enneagram Prison Project, a nonprofit dedicated to the self-awareness education of those imprisoned, and The Human Potentialist, a social benefit corporation with a vision to democratize the Enneagram. So today's podcast will be following two main topics. First, we're going to talk to Susan about her journey of creating the Enneagram Prison Project. And then we're going to talk about her large takeaways from her experience building. I'm going to jump into the first question. You describe yourself as a human potentialist. We would love to hear why and what that term means to you. Thank you, Evie and Elise, for having me, first of all. I'm so happy to be here to talk to you about my favorite topic on the planet, and I love this question because I really do see the light in other people. I think that is by definition what a human potentialist is to me. And I feel like we are all very essentially good and right. There's so much that's beautiful about us. And that's the part that often is existing underneath the personality. And so the work that I've been able to do on the inside is both a metaphor and literally what we're inviting other people to do inside of themselves and actually on both sides of the bars. Thank you so much for that, Susan. We are so excited. As we continue, our listeners will understand even more what we mean by you being a human potentialist. Let's start with diving into the Enneagram system, which is core to your work, and you've been working with it for 23 years, which is incredible. For our listeners, what exactly is the Enneagram system? How and when did you learn about its potential for change? The Enneagram comes from the Greek word ennea, which just means nine, and gram, which means picture or diagram. And it's a psycho-spiritual tool. And really, the Enneagram is a system for understanding humanity. The symbol itself is ancient. It dates back to antiquity, I would say. And others have combined the symbol with modern-day psychology to give us the modern-day Enneagram of personality. This is a really quick overview of what the Enneagram is, but you can think of it as nine different ways of perceiving reality. And we do that with different centers of intelligence. And we're all filtering the world in a little bit different way. Nine equally correct or accurate or right perspectives, but different ones. And so it's a map in those ways about what's really right and good about us. It also is a map of our ego structures and the ways that we forget that and how we kind of distort reality. And I learned about the Enneagram 
when I was a brand new mom of a six month old and I was signing myself up for a parenting class, which I hoped would help me to be a better mom, which is a lot about my personality. And I had a teacher who herself was a parent of three teenagers and she was a new Enneagram teacher. And so she was interweaving those two things together. That's awesome. And just for our listeners, when we were talking to Susan before, she gave us an Enneagram test, which we will link in the description below. And it was really interesting to learn more about which type we are. Susan, to give our audience members a little bit more understanding on these types, could you pick up perhaps one type and run us through a little bit about what that would say about a certain person who has that? Yeah, I'll do that with my own so that as I say things, you can hear it through the lens that I'm filtering things to type one on the Enneagram, which people call different things. I like the name, the idealist. Some people call it the reformer. And the essence of type ones that they come to teach the rest of us about is goodness and purity. The ones really can see the way that the world could be. And I think part of why I see myself as a human potentialist, I readily see the light in other people. It's not an effort for me to do that. And the young one gets the idea that there's actually something not okay about me. And if I were better, if I were more on the right side of things, then I would be more lovable. I think that's the distorted message that the child gets and that I also got. And so the way personality forms is we contract against our own true nature, our own essence. All of us have, have traumas. And so the bigger the trauma, the bigger the contraction. We still have to survive. And so when I contracted against that part of myself, I would start to imitate that quality. And the mimicry of that goodness is the ego, that's personality. And so the distortion of the idealistic type one who really just sees how things could be like Gandhi, I'm sure was a type one or Nelson Mandela. It was like the imitation of that is being a perfectionist of overdoing the things and trying to make them that way. And that's not the same thing as that goodness. So when the way back for all of our different types is just to literally come back inside and recognize the essential part that's always there and that never goes away. Although we do go away from it. And that is the nine different ways that we forget about our, our own true nature. Thank you for sharing that. I would love to dive into the next question, which is you shared with us that after you became a certified teacher of the Enneagram, you were invited to teach in a Texas prison and this experience changed your life's trajectory. Please tell us more about this experience and how it has impacted you personally and professionally. I love this question too, Evie. I think that the thing that happened for me is I was teaching one class in my living room and I was invited to teach another one at a church. And I was only a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two into each of those endeavors when I got invited to this prison. And because I am quite idealistic, I said yes right away to me using the Enneagram in prison. Um, I think anybody who has a whiff of what the Enneagram is about and hears those two things put together says yes inside their soul somehow. People just get that and I got that. So something in me really lined up, but I was super unsure about myself. Going in there, I first of all saw there were over a hundred different students who were students in the prison and they had been using the Enneagram in various months or years since they had been there in the program. And it blew me away what was possible. And I think that the other thing that happened is that I saw how much adversity people were overcoming and how much had happened to them. I think what it really showed me is that there were people who were in the work in the most serious way. And the work, I mean, being able to do the work of excavating who we really are from all those layers of beliefs and conditioning that we 
grow up with. And I got to see that I actually hadn't done that in myself. So I was a classic example of needing to teach something that I had yet to learn. I had done some things, I had done all that I could do, but that opportunity gave me a chance to really see what was possible. And how did that experience then turn into your creation of the Enneagram Prison Project? Yeah, it was gradual. I worked in that program for many years and I loved it and I would probably still be there too, but they actually stopped using the Enneagram and they started to go a different direction. And I was devastated, but it did really close one door and then force me to go find another one to open. And I found a jail that was really close to my home. I had a short video about what I was doing inside of jails and prisons. I talked my way in the door. They were like, any of what? They didn't know and they didn't understand the tool. But what they did understand was my passion. And I was and never stopped being really excited and passionate about uh, this idea that what I had seen in that prison could be in every jail and prison in the in entire world. And that's the part of me that really feels like, come on, this is what's needed, what's wanted. Could you share a story of how you've seen the Enneagram being used, especially in prisons and how it's transformed someone's life? We would love to hear more about that. Oh, I have literally hundreds and hundreds of stories, but one that feels particularly relevant as you're asking me that, Evie, is one of the students in the early years when I was working in that prison in Texas was a man named Clay Toomey, who is a type five. And the type five is the type that we call the investigator. And type fives come to teach the rest of us about how things go together, about clarity. And Clay had gotten in a lot of trouble in his life. Personally, he was having a lot of hurt and turmoil. It's too long a story to tell, but the important part is that he had devolved into this sort of action, like I was describing earlier, against himself. And he started to imagine how is it that some people get away with things and some people don't get away with things. And he ended up trying to try out some of his things that he was imagining. And one of them was bank robbery. And so he was a very successful bank robber, had gotten away with it free and clear, but something happened to him, which really opened up his heart. And that is he became a dad and he didn't want to get stuck in, in a place where he couldn't be there for his child. So I feel like this is Clay's story to tell, and he's actually done it in a beautiful book called The Blue Chip Store. But I'll tell you this, that he, he turned himself in. And I got to meet Clay several years into his journey. He was already on a path, but he didn't have the map that the Enneagram is providing people. He was just getting it in this program. And when he started to understand how he holds himself back from people, he recognized that that was a pattern. The lucky thing for me is that Clay was one of my first Facebook friends when I stopped working at that institution. And he literally was the person who did not doubt what I talked about when I thought this could be in every jail and prison. And, and a vision is just that until it has a real person behind it. And Clay just said yes to so much inside of himself. And he is what we call an ambassador of Enneagram Prison Project, somebody who fell in love with the Enneagram on the inside, but really fell in love with himself. And he's been out 12 years and he is a shining example of what's possible. He does our podcasts and he does all kinds of things for the project. But what I really want you to know about him is what a beautiful daddy he is and how committed to his family he is and what a contributor he is to not just our vision and our project, but to society. And so I have dozens and dozens of these stories, but the Enneagram is an invitation. What Clay did with it, that's the work. That is so wonderful to hear. Thank you for sharing 
Clay's story, Susan, you're clearly working to connect the dots. So using your expertise and passions to help other people realize their full potential. What's the hardest part of this process and any advice for listeners who would want to do similar social justice work, specifically in terms of the hardest part of the process? I think many people may think, oh, once you take the Enneagram test, that's it and move on. So how have you crafted this really successful long-term programming that has benefited people like Clay so much? And what does that look like exactly? Yeah, great question. Oh, I think that a person who knows the Enneagram, but hasn't really journeyed their own interiority to understand or catch themselves in the act of doing the things that get them in trouble with their personality, that's a dangerous person, particularly if it's an Enneagram teacher. And I know that because I think I was one. I'm very good at spending time with people, listening to people, even reflecting people back to themselves. And I got even better at it with the Enneagram. But until I had done that inner work, it really, it was a way to hide out in other people's pain or other people's dysfunction. And so I would say the hardest part of the process for me is developing self-trust, is being able to stay with myself and do the work of questioning those stories about not being good enough and not being enough, period and all the different ways that those repeat inside my head. I'm really good at doing what I think I should do, which type ones will really relate to. And I mean, I see that little smile, like maybe we could have coffee again afterwards. It's harder, much harder for me to sense into what I want to do, what's in me, what's arising from me and not from what I'm interpreting from the outside. Advice I have for listeners who want to do similar kind of social justice work or any kind of work that's on someone's heart, I would say, follow the green lights. That's what I love to do. I have had some crazy ideas, ridiculous things that a lot of people pat me on the head about and say, that's nice, dear. But I can feel when I'm quite convicted inside. And when I've followed those things, they have manifested. And I feel like if you build it, they will come. They do. In the beginning, I had 15 students in one facility and I was on there on my own dime. And today we have 19 programs in five countries and two languages and four states. And that's just there because me and then Clay and then all kinds of other people came along with it. And I think the last thing I will say is that there is nothing wrong with any of us. And that I know to be true. That is wonderful, Susan. I think a lot of guests on our podcast have really emphasized that in order to incorporate passion into your career or to do anything that will be fulfilling, you really have to follow your convictions and your own passions and find that out for yourself. And that can often be really difficult, especially when there's so much noise about what is right or what is good. But it's important that we each give ourselves that time to do that. And my next question is that working closely with incarcerated people, what is the largest misconception that people have about those who are incarcerated? And how does your Enneagram Prison Project serve to change that? I think that the thing that people most often perceiving incorrectly is that there's any difference between the people on the inside and the people on the outside, that they, in quotes, would be somehow different. And I have been guilty of this many times long after I fell in love with many of my students on the inside and wanted to do this work on the outside. All human behavior is an attempt just to feel loved. And that's a big concept to get our minds around. But I have been very fortunate in my life to be able to work with millionaires and billionaires on the outside. And I teach the same exact system as I teach on the inside. And many times I've come out of jail and changed my Enneagram Prison Project shirt in the car and then walked into 
a million dollars, a, a million dollar mansion. And I am teaching the same exact work. There's nine different ways of believing that we're not enough. And there is no difference between people on the inside and the outside. Differences are more about how people have been marginalized, how people have been traumatized and how much adversity people have been through. And race is a big part of that. And so I think understanding what are the systems that are actually keeping people in these places, that's the big difference, not the people themselves. Yeah. So I think what you just said there is absolutely crucial to remember and not simply outcast those who are in prison and kind of ignore and not do anything about it, but really think about, as you said, those underlying systems and everything that's created that situation. Digging a little bit more into the prison communities and the other communities that you work with, how do you go about building trust with all these different communities in order to best educate and support them on their journey? Self-trust is, I think, the beginning of that. It starts on the inside and we really can't teach anybody anything that we don't know ourselves. I often get this question from my corporate clients on the outside asking me when they're curious about people in prison and they say, how do you get them to trust you in there? And I look back at my corporate clients and I say, who do you think are the hardest people to get to trust? And they look right back at me and I'm like, it's not the folks on the inside. The people on the inside already know that what they were doing in their lives wasn't working. They know because they're facing the consequence and being stuck on the inside. But people on the outside have a whole lot more to hide behind, a lot more bells and whistles, a lot more wealth and privilege, all kinds of things. And so I think the number one thing is to trust myself. And like I said, I've been working on that for a long time. And the first container that we bring in, I think, is the guide themselves. So the facilitator who's in the room and knowing that I know my own self, I know that I'm not going to bring any more reactivity into the room. I'm going to bring in love and compassion, and I'm going to create a field of love and compassion around me. And I'm good at that. That's why I built a whole project around this. And that's one of our values. In the classroom itself, the very first thing we're teaching on the inside is how to take 100% emotional responsibility, which is something that a lot of people never learn. I didn't learn that growing up. I didn't understand what that was until I went to therapy. And my therapist asked me, are you willing to take 100% emotional responsibility for yourself? And I thought, in my head, I thought, I'm paying you. Of course I'm willing. And then I realized I only was as long as the outside circumstances were exactly what I needed them to be. And then as soon as that changed, I felt like justified in being angry or justified in throwing a tantrum or withdrawing or all those different things. And that's why she knew to ask me the question. So we're building self-trust by asking people to go inside and recognize where are you in this moment? Are you above the line where you're open and curious and available? Or are you below the line where you're closed and defended and shut off? And that's an inside regulation. So part of our work is self-awareness. The second part is self-regulation. And the third part is self-compassion, understanding why or why not. Why can't I find that place of equilibrium and equanimity inside of me? Probably because the old patterns are really running me. So that's all about being able to do that work together. It's really wonderful to hear the impact you've made. And we were wondering for audience members who are perhaps passionate about social justice and they want to start an NGO or start projects to help others, what are some skills or qualities that you would urge them to cultivate in order to allow them to be successful in this mission? I don't think I could be on this podcast with the two of you without promoting the Enneagram itself. And I really feel like when we are resourced with this tool, we understand all the gifts that we have to bring. And there are nine different ways of working in the world. And so no matter what people are doing, I think 
to understand what is essentially the sweet spot about ourselves, what's our superpower, what's our gift. That's what the Enneagram is pointing us to. And that's the stuff that we forget. When we forget, we start overdoing all the different personalities. So I would say in order to identify those parts that are good and right so that we can catch ourselves when we start to come from the personality instead will make us more effective no matter what we're doing. Thank you so much, Susan. We are going to transition now just into some large takeaways from your experiences of founding two organizations centered around the use of the Enneagram, one working to serve those who are in prison, which we've chatted about, and the other to help organizations and corporations. How is it different and or similar working with corporations and prisons and implementing the Enneagram system? And we already touched on it. It sounds like you take a very similar, if not exact approach. I would say I follow my intuition a lot when I'm working with people and the Enneagram is taking all your clothes off. It's incredibly revealing. It's very vulnerable. And so the first part of it is people identifying what type they they see themselves as. And this is what struck me so much when I first went to prison in Texas is that guys were coming up and saying, I'm a two with a three, I'm a four. And they were just so excited to talk about it. And a lot of people on the outside, that's not the case. People are cagey or they might have a little ramble disclosure before they come to what type they are. Some people don't want to pick in the first place because it's quite vulnerable work to be able to do that. So I would say I recognize that. And I think allowing people the space to find their own internal safety is a really important thing. And I think one thing that's really different is that the people on the inside, I think, are more onto the fact that they're in a prison of our own making. And oftentimes the people on the outside were slower to come to that because of the reasons I was talking about and also because the stakes aren't quite as high. In our prison classes, many of our students are in working 10, 20, 30. I've even had people in for as long as 48-year sentences, imagine, right? So in order to get out, we have to be able to demonstrate what's called suitability to the board of parole. And the board of parole is looking to see how they connected those things. So a big difference is that people on the inside are recognizing how locked up we are inside of ourselves. And this is the part we're really communicating that there's a prison that was made for us in childhood. And that was never our choice. And so the real tender work of being able to be honest about what happened to me and being able to acknowledge this is the law of three part right there. I may have had parents that loved me and also weren't there for me. How can I hold both of those truths at the same time? And I'm not usually starting my conversation in corporate programs like that. However, I will go anywhere a client wants to go. So if a student on the inside needs to play it safer and find their way there slowly, I can do that. And I think the most important thing is that we remember that everyone is really working the same edges at their own pace. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. And I think it really just speaks to how important the Enneagram is as a tool for everyone to really explore and get to know more about themselves as they go along their journey. Our next question is, as the founder of the Enneagram Prison Project, what has been your biggest achievement so far or a milestone that you are most proud of? Or what has been a moment that has reaffirmed the impact that you are making? I don't think I can answer this question without talking about our ambassadors because they are the exemplars of what we're asking other people to do. And if you come into our public programming for Enneagram Prison Project, you will most likely very quickly come into contact with an ambassador because we've recognized that by having one of our students from 
from our in-custody program who has made it through this like eye of the needle to come through, all the way through re-entry, which is so difficult, and really live their life in a way that all these principles we're describing. A lot of folks just want to touch into that and, and to be a part of that. We have learned and we're still striving to, to figure out how we can have enough resources in Eager and Prison Project to hire our ambassadors in every different one of our spaces, all of our public programming, all of the operational things that we're doing. And the most, most exciting thing, I think, is when we have people who have done time, who then are able to come back into the institution and walk through the front gate. And we have that happening lots of different places, which kind of gives me goosebumps. One of our other ambassadors I would highlight is Sue Lambert, who took our program on the inside four or five times and came out and started to win awards for placing people in other jobs. Most of our ambassadors come through with, everyone comes through with a, a spirit of service. And many people find themselves in vocations of literally giving back, serving the homeless, working with our reentry students. And not everybody has it on their heart to be a guide, which is what we call our instructors or facilitators. But all of our ambassadors are ambassador guides of some sort. When I come in, it doesn't matter what I say. If I have an ambassador with me, everybody is looking to that person to see what the real deal looks like. Because for me, it's just theory, right? I haven't lived that life. Sue has gotten out. She actually had to go back and serve a term in prison, which she wasn't expecting was a mistake in the system. And she did it anyway. And she came out and she is now getting cleared to go back into the facilities where she did time. And so I'm very proud of that. Yeah, we absolutely love to hear that spirit of service. And it's totally clear that those ambassadors are proof of the incredible, miraculous work that you guys are doing. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. Speaking of all of your accomplishments, huge congratulations on the Enneagram Prison Project 10-year anniversary. That's absolutely fantastic. What are your future plans and what's the vision for the impact of the Enneagram Prison Project for the foreseeable future? Elise, I love all these good questions. I already busted myself. I am an idealist, so I don't have any trouble continuing to think of more, bigger, greater things to do with what has been on our hearts. And our vision is already a pretty big one, freeing people all over the world from the prisons of our own making. I think that the foundation has been laid over this decade that we've been at it. There are teen programs that are running. I've only been teaching in two of those myself, and we're training guides. We just trained 45 more guides, and, and we're just getting started in some ways. But in order to be able to share this approach, I am actively and diligently working on a book to write about this experience. And everywhere I go, and I am very honored to be able to speak in lots of different places, especially to young people. And that's why I'm so thrilled by the work that the two of you are doing is to be able to resource more people to understand what's possible inside of them. I do call myself and consider myself a human potentialist. And over the last year, I have finally founded this other organization called the Human Potentialists in the plural. And that's about bringing our curriculum to other people outside of jails and prisons outside of those realms who have the capacity and the power to make systemic change and empowering our young future leaders and young adults to know themselves so that they can go and do the things that are on their hearts. And so I really see that the future of the human potentialists is to democratize the Enneagram, to take the in-custody cur curriculum and bring it to all kinds of places on the outside, to other healing professions, coaches, and other corporations, organizations. And the important part about that is that that will allow us to resource our work on the inside, that the, 
the social benefit corporation is not just about profit, it's about the social profit. Wow, yes. You're really striving for this Enneagram revolution, and we are so excited to hear it. I think especially for young people, learning how to be more self-aware and really understanding our ranks and the way that we work is so important. We're coming to an end to the podcast. Thank you so much, Susan, for coming on. And for our last question, we would love to ask you about two to three things you would like our listeners and us to take away as lessons from your journey, integrating your passion and impact into your career. Thank you. Thank you both for having me and including me in this space. I think it's an honor to be part of the future. And I do think that's what you represent. So I think I'll just go back and harvest some of the things that we talked about that there is nothing wrong with any of us. In fact, there's something that's so incredibly right. And just to remind listeners that's true. And that anyone can, I'm sure in the show notes, you'll show people where they can go and learn about our compassionate approach to the Enneagram and our public programming curriculum. The other thing I, I really think is important is to follow your own heart, follow your own green lights and to know what they are and to just trust yourself because you wouldn't have it on your heart if it wasn't meant to come through you. And there are so many different people in the world whose light is meant to shine. And so just use the Enneagram the way it's meant to be to get out of your own way so you can be all that you're meant to be. Thank you, Susan. It's been a wonderful getting to know you and learn more about the Enneagram Prison Project. And we're so thankful that you're on here. Thank you, Evie. Thank you, Thank you Elise. My, my joy, my pleasure. Our pleasure, really. Thank you.